Lobster. Carvings. Welcome to Knickknack News. I'm Anthony. And I'm Alex. And my first story is food news. This is from, of course, delish.com. Where else? And the headline is, Popeye's is unveiling its very first fish sandwich. The Cajun flounder sandwich. Okay. And it looks just like the chicken sandwich, except it's fish. All right. And I'm excited about it. I know okay. you don't really like seafood. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm not much of a seafood person, and if it looks just like the chicken sandwich, I'm just going to get the chicken sandwich. Because <laughs> well, I love that chicken sandwich. Wait till you hear what they're doing. Okay, so they announced this week they're officially getting into the fish sandwich game. Uh, Popeyes will launch its very first fish sandwich. <laughs> well, according to Delish, it is. I don't know. Um it will be serving the Cajun flounder sandwich starting this week. The sandwich has the same toasted bun and pickles used in their famous chicken sandwich uh, with a Cajun seasoned and fried fish filet, plus some Popeye's tartar sauce. In addition to this, Popeye's is launching something they're calling sandwich insurance. <laughs> for anyone who tries the sandwich and doesn't like it, they'll replace it for you with a chicken sandwich for free if you purchase insurance when you purchase the original sandwich so you can pay them (laughs) you can pay them extra in case you You don't like it (laughs) you can pay them 10 cents on the popeyes app for insurance okay 10 cents which means that that you will get a free chicken sandwich if you tell them you don't like the fish sandwich (laughs) so in other words there's a really good deal going on at popeyes where you can get a fish sandwich plus a 10 cent chicken sandwich (laughs) yeah but I, um, it was a little bit unclear, but it sounded like that that might only apply on the first day that the sandwich was available. I'm mm. not sure, um, which by the time you're hearing this will probably have passed. So. Oh, whoops. Um, I don't know, but I thought that was funny, so I mentioned <laughs> it anyway. But yeah, I don't know. I think Popeyes can just probably make any sandwich they want at this point, and it will be successful. Oh, yeah. So They're really good at seasoning fried things. and They are. What else could you want? From a delicious sandwich. I love their chicken sandwich, but you know that. I also love it. And their biscuits. Their biscuits are really good, too. My first story is animal news. This is from CNN. A rare yellow lobster named Banana has been caught off the coast of Maine. (laughs) It's a lobster lobster named Banana. That's a good name for a lobster that's yellow. That's yellow. (laughs) I agree. I approve. Uh, The University of New England said in a news release that banana was caught by lobsterman Marley Babb, which is a great lobsterman name, and donated to the university on Wednesday. Uh, Just to be clear, I'm saying it's a great lobsterman name. The University of New England did not express their opinion on on Mr. Babb's name. And what I'm saying is I didn't know there was a term – Lobsterman. Oh, really? It's like a fisherman, but lobsters. I I gathered that, but I never <laughs> heard that before. <laughs> a lobsterman. It's just, that's just a funny... A lobsterman. They take lobster very seriously like in, in uh, New England. So uh, The yellow color comes from a pigment in the lobster shell, which... Let's pause on that for a second. Duh. duh it's a pigment. What? Yeah, what else would it have what come from? What else would it have come They didn't... That's like their explanation for why it's yellow. It's like that's that's their whole yellow. explanation. It's literally like it's yellow because it's yellow. 
Wow. I don't know why. Uh, I, so, yeah, but they say the odds of catching one are about one in 30 million, according Whoa. according to the Lobster Institute at the University of Maine. <laughs> the University of Maine has a lobster institute. Uh Bab contacted the Maine Department of Marine Research after his once-in-a-lifetime catch to see if they would be interested in housing the lobster. And Lindsay Forrett, a lab coordinator and chemical hygiene officer in the School of Marine Environmental Program, said Bab drove two hours from his location in Tenants Harbor to drop off banana. So he was really interested in preserving this for science. That's um, nice. And I guess it's only tangentially related, but the University of New England is apparently sharing an $860,000 grant from the National Science Foundation with the Maine Department of Marine Resources, Bigelow Laboratory for Ocean Sciences, and Hood College in Maryland to study the impact that a warming Gulf of Maine is having on lobster larvae and their success in growing to adulthood. So I don't know if Banana is going to be part of that or if they just wanted to mention that they got a nice grant, but um, yeah. Lobster, banana the lobster. I was about to say lobster the banana, but that's yeah. <laughs> For some reason, I also was thinking the wrong thing. Like, <laughs> In other banana news, the lobster I found this man. red banana, like, and I've <laughs> named it lobster. My next story is technology news. This is from Reuters dot com. And the headline is, Kenyan engineer recycles plastic waste into bricks stronger than concrete. Whoa. So, uh, oh my gosh, I have to pronounce this correctly. Nzambi Mate is the founder of Nairobi-based company Genji Makers, which transforms plastic waste into durable building materials. According to Mate, the product is five to seven times stronger than concrete, and it's made from plastic waste that can't be otherwise recycled. Hmm. The company gets the waste from packaging factories for free, although they pay some other recycling centers for some of the plastic supply. The factory currently produces 1,500 paver bricks every day, uh, made from a mix of different kinds of plastic, including high-density polyethylene, used, which is used in milk and shampoo bottles, low-density polyethylene, often used for bags, like sandwich bags, and polypropylene, used for flip-top lids and buckets. Mm. So they have like they're able to somehow like mix all of those um, together into their product. So the plastic waste is mixed with sand, heated, and then compressed into these bricks, which are sold at varying prices depending on thickness and color. Matei, a materials engineer who designed her own machines, said her factory has recycled twenty tons of waste plastic since its founding in twenty seventeen. She says she was tired of waiting for someone else to solve the problem of plastic waste. She plans to add another bigger production line that could triple capacity. That's so cool. I'm tired of, tired of waiting for somebody else to do it. I love this story so, so much. Just like, like, I'm going to just do it. This lady was just like, yeah, I'm a mechanical engineer. I can figure out something. And she yeah. just was like, yeah, let's just compress these into like, they're, they're like paver bricks. Right. They, um, they had a video on this too where they were just showing like an interview with her. And they, they showed it like how it could just be used for like like outdoor um Flooring is the wrong word. Like, um, like pathways. Yeah, like, yeah, pads. Like, or brick like pads and stuff. And that yeah. Kind of thing. yeah. Like, that's that was the example use that they were showing it. But, like, yeah, it's awesome. Like, she was just kind of like, yeah, I just was tired of, like, waiting for somebody else to solve this problem. And I just, like, made <laughs> so this factory. <laughs> like, I was like, this is awesome. That's, a, that's, a, that's yeah. amazing. So, it was cool. My next story is also technology news. This is from Ars Technica. 
United Airlines orders 200 vertical takeoff electric airplanes. I'm actually kind of surprised you didn't bring the story because I feel like you're always no. the one talking about vertical like takeoff planes and just plane just pla- innovation, pla- innovation in general. <laughs> plane technology plane and innovation. plane innovation. Plane innovation. Plane innovation. Yeah, normally I uh, somehow get alerted to those things, but I did not see this one. Yeah. So while the vertical takeoff and landing revolution hasn't happened as quickly as some hoped, the industry is making progress. The latest sign is an announcement that United Airlines is investing in uh, – they they abbreviate it VTOL, V-T-O-L, for vertical takeoff and landing. Mm. Uh, and VTOL startup Archer and has placed a $1 billion order for 200 of their aircraft. Um, while battery electric aircraft have a number of advantages, the low energy density of batteries compared with fossil fuels means that electric vehicles have limited range. Their first aircraft due out in 2024 is designed for a range of 60 miles with a maximum speed of 150 miles per hour. So still decently far, but um, obviously not enough to replace like conventional commercial airline flights. Archer and others working on this technology envision a new class of intra-urban air service. Uh, a United customer might travel a short distance by car to a nearby Vertiport, Whoa. which would be the name for one of the, a place where you might take one of these things. And then the customer might fly 20 or 30 miles to an airport in 15 or 20 minutes, a trip that might otherwise take like an hour by car. So... The idea is just they would be used to transport you to an airport and then you could fly out from there. Hmm. Um, Of course, it's theoretically possible to do this by helicopter, and some wealthy people already do. (laughs) Uh, But advocates, I like that they threw that in. It's like, yeah, some rich people can just take a helicopter wherever. We get it. Um, But advocates argue that electric VTOL aircraft have the potential to be safer, quieter, and much cheaper than a helicopter. Uh, Archer says that its aircraft will produce minimal noise and that the cost will be comparable to an Uber ride. Hmm. Um, yeah, so that seems really accessible. Extremely accessible, yeah. Uh, we'll see how they do on the minimal noise, because I've yet to see one of those things that doesn't sound like a like Train. An airplane <laughs> yeah. going through a wood chipper. Um, <laughs> Archer's initial aircraft will require a pilot, but advocates hope that we'll eventually have software sophisticated enough to steer the aircraft on its own, simultaneously eliminating the cost of the pilot and opening an extra seat for a passenger. Um, so beyond the technical challenges of designing the new aircraft, the VTOL vision also poses significant regulatory challenges. It takes several years for the FAA to sign off on a new aircraft design. Plus getting urban air transportation to work at scale will likely require an overhaul of the current air traffic control system. Um, because such a large number of small airplanes traveling short distances could overwhelm the current system. So there's still a lot of considerations that have to be made, um, around this, but it does sound kind of cool. Um, yeah, and I I also agree that that application for it makes a lot of sense because there's a lot of people going to the airport. Yeah, and there's also and a lot me. of people I feel like that aren't in a reasonable drives distance of the airport. Too. Yes, and this might make that more accessible as opposed to like having to build more airports, which is not an easy thing to do, <laughs> right. especially in like an urban area yeah. where you don't have the just the land to do it. Yeah, We exactly. could turn like most of Kansas into an airport. That would be easy. But, <laughs> but yeah, so random. these would be a good but, option for people who yeah. are like trapped, like otherwise trapped in a city or whatever. Like I'm just thinking like of LA specifically, where oh, that goodness. would just make <laughs> so much sense. 
You know, other cities maybe don't have as much of a problem, but... L.A. is a nightmare <laughs> to get around. It is a nightmare. If you've ever, ever been to... Not you, because I know you have, but if you're listening to this <laughs> and you, you've never been to LAX, like, you've been blessed with not having to deal with... Oh, see, I wasn't even just thinking of LAX. I was thinking also just the traffic uh, Just in, in general. general just oh, yeah. Awful. I was thinking about the, the airport traffic. There are certain times of day where you just, like, are expecting to be in, like, bumper-to-bumper traffic. Like, that's just... Yeah, just no matter where you are or where you're where, going. Yeah, it's like, it doesn't every, matter. <laughs> everywhere is gridlocked. Right. I don't know how anyone even moves. Yes. <laughs> Everyone in LA has actually been stuck in their cars forever. So it's a problem. I was born in this car and I'll die in this car. My next story is archaeology news. This is from SmithsonianMag.com. And the headline is 120,000 year old cattle bone carvings, maybe. One of the world's oldest surviving symbols. Whoa. Like symbol? Like the like, concept no, of No, like the, wait, like a symbol, like a written symbol, not like a musical symbol. Oh, no, that's what I was. <laughs> oh, okay. That's what I was saying. <laughs> I imagine, I the, oldest, like I imagine the oldest symbol is, is not that old. Where is the oldest symbol? <laughs> Someone <laughs> find this. <laughs> <laughs> No, but that's Somebody what I thought. find that out for us. Okay, so anyway. You, they think it's the oldest write, like, human it's writing the, before? Yeah. Oh. It's one of the, um, one of the, if not the oldest example of, like, a human writing. Yeah. Oh. On this bone. Hmm. Take this a little bit with a grain of salt because I have some thoughts about that. I'm going to show you the picture of it at the end, but okay. after I read this, okay. <laughs> Israeli and French archaeologists have found what may be one of humans' earliest known uses of symbols. Six lines inscribed on a bovine bone some 120,000 years ago. A group of scholars from several universities discovered the bone fragment at a site in Israel. The team published its findings this week in the journal Quaternary International. Ooh. Which, like, what, what does topic, that what mean? does that cover? <laughs> It's like the journal is called Statistics. <laughs> I don't know what quaternary means. Maybe that means something I don't know. It's understand. something with four. That's about all I got for you. Yeah. Uh, this is a, a statement. It is fair to say that we have discovered one of the oldest symbolic engravings ever found on Earth. A statement from study co-author Yossi Zeidner. Because the markings were carved on the same side of a relatively undamaged bone... The, uh, the researchers speculate that the engravings may have held some symbolic or spiritual meaning. Per the statement, the site where researchers uncovered the fragment was most likely a meeting place for Paleolithic hunters who convened there to slaughter animals. The bone in question probably came from an auroch, a large ancestor of cows and oxen that went extinct about 500 years ago. I had never um, heard of that before. I think I have, actually. Am I pronouncing it right? Because I, I have no idea. <laughs> I don't know because I think I'm, I'm recognizing the name from a video game. Oh, so it's spelled I've only seen it written. A-U-R-O-C-H. Yeah. So I... Uh, Arak. Arak? Yeah, it's like a know. big cow. Yeah. Hunters may have used flint tools, some of which were found alongside the fragment, to fashion the engravings, according to the Jerusalem Post. Researchers used three-dimensional imaging and microscopic analysis... No further details described. Oh. To examine the bone and verify that its curved engravings were man-made. Archaeologists found the bone facing upward, 
which could also imply that it held some special significance. Okay. Since the <laughs> yeah, this is a, I'm I'm just waiting till the end for my commentary. Um, All right. Since the carver made the lines at the same time with the same tool, they probably didn't use the bone to count events or mark the passage of time. Instead, Zeidner says the markings are probably a form of art or symbolism. Regardless of whether the carvings are the first of their kind, the study's authors argue that the fragment has major implications for our knowledge concerning the emergence and early stages of the development of hominin symbolic behavior. Okay, this is the bone. What? Is it just me or is this very underwhelming? After I read all of that, like, what did you, th- like, it's just lines. It's, it, looks, it looks like a tally. I mean, they explicitly said it wasn't, like, they were all done at the same time, but, so. Yes, they did explicitly say that. They don't think it was a tally. How sure are they? But how, how do they know that? Also, I mean, they how said, do they know that wasn't an accident? <laughs> so they, okay. So the article said they think it wasn't an accident because this bone, like, to make those markings, that would have been really hard to accidentally make, like, the way that they are. It would have been hard mm. to be done accidentally. They think they were done on purpose. And the, also, like, the other parts of the bone are, like, in a really, really good condition. So if it was some type of, like, injury or something, the whole area would have looked differently than this. Gotcha. So that's why they know, one of the reasons they know it's man-made. So it wasn't, like, a wolf with a really sharp claws. Yeah. Okay. I mean, unless a wolf could dig that deep in like exact parallel lines. I don't know. They had those big old wolves back then. The dire wolves. I don't know. Yeah, they did. Um, Yeah, my kind of questioning of this is the whole thing where it's like, oh, it's not a tally marking passage of time or something. How do they know the carver made the lines at the same time with the same tool? This is like a... yeah. They really uh, didn't say. A 120,000 year old piece of bone. Right. Like, what if it was over the course of like a couple of days? Yeah. Are you not sure? <laughs> like, they wouldn't know that. Yeah. Like, how would they know if like one of these lines is like a few days older than the other line? Like, that. Yeah. There's no way they could know that. Right? Yeah. Unless I'm just crazy. I don't know. I just I think that know. that's. I think they're crazy. <laughs> I think that there are some conclusions being jumped to here. Yeah, a little bit. It probably was man-made, though, so it's still a cool find. It's just like oh yeah, the the jump to the conclusion that it's some type of like symbolic religious something is a right, little I bit think, far-fetched, in my yeah, opinion. Honestly, but, at best, I think it shows they knew how to use tally marks earlier than we originally yeah. thought. <laughs> yeah, it may, you know, it could just it could just be that. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, it's still a cool discovery either way. So. Oh yeah. My next story is another animal news. This is from CNET. Scientists teach pigs how to play a video game, and pigs are good at it. I'm so excited by this. Don't be too excited by it. Oh. It's not a very exciting game, but oh. they did. It, it, is, it has interesting implications. Okay. Uh, so there's four pigs, and... Two of them are Yorkshire pigs named Hamlet and Omelette, which are great. And then two of them are Panapinto micro pigs named Ebony and Ivory. Um, and nice, they're, nice. they're ambassadors for their species because they were the focus of a study that tested whether pigs could learn to play a video game. Um, and obviously the point was of the study was not to teach them how to play a video game. It was like, can they figure out how to like coordinate a controller with what's happening on screen, that kind of thing. But oh, okay. It wasn't well, just like, we want to teach these pigs to play super mario (laughs) um 
Purdue animal behavior specialist Candace Crony and chimpanzee cognition expert Sarah Boyson co-authored a study on the pigs published in the journal Frontiers in Psychology on Thursday. The study chronicles an experiment (laughs) to investigate the cognitive processes such as memory, attention, and conceptualization of farm animals. The experiment involved first teaching the pigs how to manipulate a joystick using their snouts. They were then taught to use the joystick to play a video game on a monitor in front of them. They didn't really explain what the game was, um, other than that there was a joystick involved. Uh, And they said the pigs aren't rescuing Princess Peach just yet, but they did show a remarkable ability to learn and operate the game. Each pig performed the tasks well above chance, indicating the animal understood that the movement of the joystick was connected to the cursor on the computer screen, which is apparently a big deal. Like, it's very unusual for an animal to realize, like, manipulating something is having an effect on something else in the world. Oh, Um, okay. Yeah. So the pigs were were rewarded with food for playing the game properly, but they also responded to to, uh, verbal encouragement. (laughs) It's like, good job, pig. (laughs) Um, The researchers are interested in taking the study further to see if computers and symbols could be used for communication with pigs. We're going to start learning how to talk to them, apparently. Um... Crony says it is no small feat for an animal to grasp the concept that the behavior they are performing is having an effect elsewhere. That pigs can do this to any degree should give us pause as to what they are capable of learning and how such learning may impact them. So pigs can, pigs can play video games now. They can't fly, but they can play video games. So I love it. And we should provide video games to all of the animals because they provide so much enjoyment to everyone. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's spread the video game joy to everyone. Yeah, to all the animals. Also, it's kind of comes back to something we've talked about on the show before that like we always come to these studies with the assumption that animals are stupid and like yep. aren't capable of these higher like yep. cognitive processes just because they don't speak English or <laughs> or any yep. like actual any human language. And yeah, there's been a lot of these lately, a at lot least on of our them, just, podcast. And every single time they're like, oh my gosh, the animal's smarter than yeah, we thought. Yeah, it's like, every well, yeah. single time. Have you, maybe <laughs> like th- have you ever thought like maybe animals aren't as dumb as we think? Yeah, like, the fact that the, that the pig can do this should give us pause. I liked that part. <laughs> right. Like, like, yeah. 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 Yeah, it should. Yeah. All right, it's time for breaking news, the part of the show where Anthony and I look up stories that just happened today or were just posted today, and we read them to you on the fly. Banana. Ready, set, go! Go! Okay, I uh, found this in a couple of places and then landed on the original article, which is on ktvu.com, which I think is a local station somewhere. Uh, The headline is, 90-year-old man spends $10,000 on two ads in the Wall Street Journal to tell AT&T CEO about his slow internet service. (laughs) Did you see this? No. It's so good. Clearly this man does not heard of Twitter. (laughs) This guy, he put out an ad, like, wherever the AT&T um headquarters is and also in like new york city in somehow like in the wall street journal and it's just like my internet is slow i'm paying for this and like the downloads and upload speeds aren't what i'm paying for (laughs) (laughs) and then um (laughs) 
um, ended up getting a call like from the president of AT&T or like their, that office or whatever to like a support call from them of like, we're going to help you out and stuff. So it worked. I, I mean, yeah, <laughs> so, but he paid how much? $10,000 apparently. So <laughs> hopefully that was worth know, getting. Like, the guy is 90. He's probably just like, yeah. I want internet now. I, I want don't internet care. now like, and I got my retirement funds. Yeah, so that's probably what it, it is. I'm buying all the ads. Uh, and, um, Somebody interviewed the guy. I don't know if it was this station or who, but there's a it's not on on this this website here it looks like, but there was a video of him like being interviewed about why he put the ads and stuff and it was just like so funny. <laughs> I was like watching it like he was just like, "Yeah, like sometimes my upload speed is is this and that's not what it should be." So, I and I just was tired of waiting for support, so I just just did this like <laughs> It was great. Found this on USA Today. Grape nuts shortage coming to an end. There was a grape nuts shortage? How did you not hear about the the great, great grape nuts shortage of 2021? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so apparently there was a shortage of grape nuts and it's about to end. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm living so hard (laughs) I mean, it's pretty funny that like anybody would want grape nuts so much that they would be upset about a shortage of them. The demand got so high that yeah. there was a shortage. Well, it sounded more anyway. like there was a supply issue, but um, yeah, I guess yeah. when something is scarce, people want it more. Uh, <laughs> for months, grape nuts fan fans. Who's <laughs> 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 a fan of grape nuts? They're fine. Like have yeah, you, like they're fine. Yeah, fine. I've had it. It's it's fine. Yeah, it's just. It's just an average. There's a lot like, of other cereal. Yeah, it's just have. an average cereal. Like um, I wouldn't say it's like at the top or the bottom of my list. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, but they say they've been struggling to get their favorite cereal because of a shortage that hit the uh, brand amid the pandemic and production issues. Uh, but they announced on Thursday that the cereal will be shipping at full capacity by mid-March. Uh, Kristen Durock, Grape Nuts brand manager. <laughs> <laughs> At Post Consumer Brands says, we recognize that the temporary grape nuts shortage has been frustrating to fans, <laughs> given that grape nuts is a one-of-a-kind cereal and there is no other cereal like it on the market. Okay, Chris, that's the same thing said twice. But to... <laughs> but... <laughs> To apologize for the shortage, the brand is holding a contest through March 19th where 10 fans will win free grape nuts for a year. For entering the contest, consumers will be notified when the cereal is back in stock at full capacity and will get a coupon for $1.50 off the cereal. You can sign up at facebook.com slash grape nuts cereal. And also... There's more? There's more. There's a new... Grape Nuts Secret Super Fans Facebook group. <laughs> I'm laughing way too hard at this. Oh my where, God. where the company says it will send <laughs> updates and engage with consumers. So if you really, really love Grape Nuts, there's going to be a Facebook group just for you. You secret super wow. fan, you. <laughs> All those secret super fans out there. Finally have a place um, to call. Yeah. 
I'm trying to think of another brand that I would have this a similar reaction, like if I found out they were super fans of, and I really can't think of anything. <laughs> it's just such a silly thing to latch on to. Like, I honestly can't believe Grape Nuts is still a thing. Like, it feels like a very old-timey yeah, cereal. Yeah, like, because it's been around for so long. You're right, it does. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's not, like, flashy. It's and, like and crunching hip, on right? little bits of gravel that taste like food, so... The texture is like, like is kind of rough sometimes. I mean, I haven't had it honestly since I was a kid, but yeah. I remember not minding it. Like it's fine. It tastes good. It's just that it's weird because it's just like the little balls, and it's like really tough to chew. So yeah, but I think if you want something that's like more crunchy, like most cereals are like yeah. not crunchy, right? Like they're like that's fair. They just get soggy, right? And people don't like that. Yeah, I think grape, grape nuts, nuts is like crunchy. Grape nuts won't let you down. <laughs> Okay, the only other brand I could think of is like Sara Lee cheesecake or something. Yeah, I don't know. It, like it, if there was super fans of anyway, I don't or know. like one of the Little Debbie's obscure snack cakes. <laughs> <laughs> Little Debbie oatmeal pie. Okay, I do sandwiches. Love those I love those. No, I don't. So know. I, I was just trying to figure out like why my mind reacted that way to like grape nuts having fans. Like I don't know. It's probably because it's like I haven't even thought of that cereal in years, and it just was like, oh yeah, that's a thing. Oh, there's a shortage. What? That was yeah, that's funny. Fear not, they're coming back. All right, all right, all right. Okay, that's our show. Thanks for listening, everybody. We post episodes every Friday, and as always, the links to this week's stories will be in the episode description. You can subscribe to Knickknack News on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. And you can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash News, Twitter at at News, and Instagram at News. All right, we'll see you next week. Bye! Bye.